This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Hello and welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. The point is to use your story to give others hope. It is quite liberating to move beyond your past. Don't keep your story to yourself and allow it to eat away at you. Instead, consider how your life, how your journey, can help inspire others to reach the stars. Our next guest today is Jerry Springer. Jerry is a renowned American television host, politician, news presenter, actor, producer, musician, and former lawyer. Springer revolutionized daytime TV with his ultra-popular show, The Jerry Springer Show, a daytime talk show featuring controversial topics and outrageous guest behavior. Springer currently hosts a courtroom show called Judge Jerry, where he presides over actual legal disputes. To watch this interview, go to lifestuff.com and click on Jerry Springer. Now, let's welcome him onto the show. Dustin, Dustin. Oh, stop. Dustin. No, 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 oh. seriously. Keep, keep yeah, on going. Keep it going. So, Jerry, oh, yeah. you, you look really good. I got to tell you, what, what, what have you been doing with yourself? Uh, actually not much, just reading a lot. I mean, my wife and I are here at home and it's, it's not a bad place to be. So, you know, I have guilt pangs because my life isn't bad now at all. Thankfully, no one in our family is, is sick or anything. So we're, we're, we're pretty lucky and I just hope soon this is over, but it, we, it, we shouldn't go back until, you know, we know the virus has been licked. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Jerry, is that we had a guest on earlier today, and we were talking about the pandemic. And from his standpoint, it's let's let's go back. Uh, and then also, as we're going to have in that conversation, is what is right and what is wrong. I mean, how do we make those decisions in this world? Well, uh, as in most of life, there are difficulties along the way, and then you got to make the best judgment you can. But when you're dealing with something like a disease, I think that has to be the priority because we start on the assumption that we all would like to live and, you know, as long as possible. And we'd like our family members not to get sick, particularly the elderly among us. Yeah. So that has to be the top priority, as difficult as it is. And it doesn't make any sense to rush back out to everything, even though economically that would be much better. Because if we get sick all over again, then where are we? So I think we got to gut it out for, you know, a, a little bit longer until the doctors and the scientists say it's safe to go back. I, I, you know, so we go back now. We'll have one month of enjoyment again. We're in the restaurants. We're in the stores. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, boom, 
we got to, you know, people are getting sick again. And so I err on the side of I'd rather go back when we can be okay with sending our kids to school, when we can be okay to going out to restaurants or movie theaters or nightclubs or whatever we would do, sporting events. You know, that's what I personally yeah. miss of the sporting events. Yeah, and you're you're also a, a big fan of a certain baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, if I if I read correctly. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how to read. <laughs> you ought to take some reading lessons. I'm I guess kidding. I should. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was uh, I was raised in New York City, and uh, and I'm a diehard Yankee fan. In fact, that's the only part of me that's Republican. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, that's it, huh? Like yeah, a one percent? Are we talking like one percent away from Republican or two percent? How, how far are you away from that side? Well, I'm very far away from it uh, normally, uh, but I realize when I root for the Yankees, I'm rooting for the concept that money can buy anything, and you wear pinstripe suits, uh, and uh, you win all the time. So that, that is kind of it. The expectations are rather high on that team. They, 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 really, they are. Yeah, they I still get, wear. I'm sorry. Wear, I, what, I still wear pinstripe pajamas. I mean, you do I'm, not. Uh, you got to be. You're telling me the great Jerry Springer wears pinstripe pajamas. After all these years, we finally find yeah. this out now. What's <laughs> yeah. the matter with you, Jerry? Get your act together. Trust me, it's not a pretty picture. It's it's not. So when you're walking around the house, are you like one of these guys like bare feet? Are you socks, slippers? Because I'm the old man. I, I usually wear slippers. Uh, I wear well, actually, <laughs> well, I wear socks, and then I. I don't wear slippers, but I do have indoor shoes because if, you know, when you, when, when I come in the house, I take off my outdoor shoes. Otherwise all the dirt that, you know, collects during the course of a day and you got it all over the, the carpet. You're and, a bit of a diva, Jerry. I mean, I, I would have thought a man of your caliber that you would not be so picky that indoor outdoor shoes. Do you have like walk in the shower shoes, go to the basement well, shoes, like do you have an entire collection of shoes? No, I have a wife. <laughs> oh, yes. Same here. See? So and, and you're that, not the boss. And that cleans up the house. And of course, she's right because she winds up doing most of the cleaning. Why did I say most of the cleaning? <laughs> most of the cleaning. I thought we're supposed to have like a system like fair and balanced. You are a Democrat. Like yes. no one group should be given more, right? Uh, I'm almost all the way there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. I, well, you know what? My generation, I would argue, had the toughest because the rules changed during the course of my growing up. In other words, when I was a kid, you know, I'm 76. So when I was a kid. You look great, brother. You got your mojo about you, Jerry. Well done, Jerry. Jerry. No, no, you got bad eyesight. You're but like anyway. the AI. Are you the AARP spokesman these days or, or what? Oh, yeah. I remember when I first got the envelope in the mail saying that uh, mail, that, by the way, mail is something where something comes. Doesn't exist, paper. Jerry. It's Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I was made fun of the other day because, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Steve Wilkos, you know, uh, the Steve show. Where are you, where are and, you hiding now, Jerry? Bunker? Well, or... But he made fun of me because I took out my wallet and I had stamps in it. And, and honestly, he was laughing at me that I have stamps. He says, what are you carrying stamps? First of all, he was laughing at me because I had a wallet. But then he said, you got stamps? What You're going to have some technical difficulties on the Wi-Fi side. I am.
Can you hear me? All right. I think I got you back now, Jerry. Can you see me? Yeah, I can see you. I never stopped seeing you. I just you stopped moving, though. Yeah, I tell you, this is the problem with live TV. How did you do it, man, and not make any mistakes or errors all those years? Well, if you watch my show, you see that I make a lot of mistakes. All right, so I thought you were faking it. I never knew that that was actually part of the gag reel. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, it, what happens is, you know, in our show, there's no, well, in the old show, as Judge Jerry, I have to be serious. But when I was doing my regular show or the old show, um, there's no script. Because you could never have the people on our show remember their lines, or in some cases. That's right. Yeah. I mean, in a world that is unscripted, I mean, this is, you were dealing with, yeah. you were dealing with chaos. You were dealing with life. I mean, life in, in its sense, in, yeah. in its raw sense, is chaos. Yeah. I, what it was, I think. The show in the beginning, when it started in 1991, when it first started, um, there it was shocking to people because we had never seen that kind of behavior on television before. We knew it existed in life. You can walk down any street in America and you can find what's, you know, the same kind of situations, the same kind of people. We may deny it because it makes us feel better, but everyone has someone in their family that could probably have been on my show. And, uh, but we had never seen that on television before. And that's what was shocking. And uh, I think that's probably and, why we and were. You were doing. Whoops. And you were doing it at a time, Jerry, where it wasn't acceptable or maybe it was becoming more acceptable to, to share the side of yourself for your family. And, and you were taking a lot of risk by taking it on. I mean, for somebody now that uh, well, I'm like this compared to you, I interview some people that every one of those guests brings a new level of drama into your own life uh, because the world of social media can be pretty mean. Yes, uh, but only the technology is different. Uh, the human condition hasn't changed in thousands of years. I mean, 2,000 years ago, people would gather in the marketplace, uh, in the town square, and they would chat about what was going on in their village. Oh, oh did you hear such and such as with so-and-so and all of that? Those stories have always been the same. There has never been anything on our show that isn't already in literature, in the Bible, in Shakespeare. I mean, these situations, it's just that the language is different. And before you used to just yeah. talk about, um, you know, you talk about what's happening with your neighbor, but now with social media and television and radio, all of a sudden your neighbors are the world. So that's all that's different. And, and so Jerry, kind of some words you have for those out there that are, that are looking for, for good TV. What's on the, the Jerry Springer Netflix list or Amazon list? Like, what is it that you like? Well, right now, uh, my wife and I, we are addicted to Homeland. Uh, so that we're binge, binge watching that. And we had been watching Rubicon. We love um, uh, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, so that's what we binge watch. And otherwise, truthfully, we watch, we used to watch sports and uh, politics, you know, uh, news. Now it's just news and binge watching. News and binge watching. Well, Mr. Jerry Springer, I can't thank you enough for coming online. Uh, I, I told your team I wouldn't take any more than 20 minutes from you. This is a show about life and purpose. 
and about the things that we go through in our own life. And as also like yourself, I mean, you have quite a story where you came from and what you were able to do along the way. How did you find that fuel? Where was it to keep going? Because it's exhausting when you give people you. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, you know, I never thought as a kid that I'd be in television. In fact, when I was a kid, no, we didn't have television. Uh, you know, I didn't, we didn't get a television set until I was about nine, 10 years old. Ah, that's remarkable. And, yeah, well, I came to America in 1949. And, you know, 80% of Americans didn't have a television set in the early 50s. We didn't, you know, we didn't get 50% until about 1959. Isn't so I didn't think as a kid of having a career in that, you know, I thought I'd be a lawyer. I mean, I graduated law school. That was, and I was always interested in politics. So I thought it'd be law or politics. And then all of a sudden, when I finished being mayor of Cincinnati, NBC offered me a job to do the news in Cincinnati. And I did that for 10 years. And, uh, then the owners of the station said, we do talk shows, too. They did Phil Donahue, Sally Jesse Raphael, and Phil wow. was retiring. So they said, you've got good ratings, so you're going to host a new talk show. So I, mean, I was assigned to it. I, got, I just got lucky. Were you scared out of your mind or were you so confident? And, you, and then you eventually went, all of these people are here and I can't mess up or the expectations on me. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of stress. I mean, I. I, I can't say, I, I mean, I, I got into television when I was already a grown up. I mean, you know, I mean, in my 30s, because I, after 10 years on city council and as mayor of Cincinnati, television didn't seem like, wow, this is going to be scary. So I can't honestly tell you that I was nervous being on television because for 10 years I'd been a public figure in, you know, in Cincinnati and. And when you're, you know, involved in running a city, television doesn't seem that, you know, awesome. So I can't tell you that I ever really was nervous. Did I have confidence? No. I mean, I didn't know that I could, that it would work out. I had no clue at all. But I said, you know, this is my job and I'll work at it and see how it goes. But there never was that, gosh, I got to make it in television. I never had that thought. Well, it's interesting though, Jerry, that and I'm not saying you're, you're downplaying, but it's, you created something that had never been done before. I mean, what you did was what I would say was the impossible. You united the tribes. You brought people <laughs> from all whites uh, all around the yeah. world. Like I go, so, so my ancestors were, uh, were Scottish. Well, they, yeah. they were tribes that you found a way to unite that in itself is a legacy of legacies. Well, because you're Scottish, I was born in England, so I'm used to uniting the kingdom. <laughs> you are. Yeah, the United Kingdom, and that's how it started. No, I, I didn't, it, it just happened. In other words, I didn't have a plan. I was just hired to host a talk show, and the talk show suddenly went crazy. And in fact, I've had great jobs in my life, and I realize that, and I've been very lucky. But the only job I've ever had that I was trained for is the job I now have as Judge Jerry. That because was the one you were trained for. That's the only thing I went to school for. All these other jobs I've had just, in a sense, were handed to me. I had no experience in it. And, you know, I've just been very, very lucky, and I'm obviously appreciative of it. 
but you are you you created something you have given so many people uh, around the the world throughout your entire life exposure that has changed their lives some for the better some for not but for the most part i mean that that is quite well i always say that i think the best thing i did for america is I've saved American taxpayers money to be spent on national defense because our show is aired throughout the world. And when the rest of the world sees my old show, they no longer want to take over America. So we save our defense dollars. I have heard that a few times saying, I, I've heard about the United States, Dustin, or yeah. hey, there's some towns, the people you have there, they fight over some crazy stuff. I'm like, I don't know who would have thought you'd have to fight over a girlfriend or a wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think is pretty universal. <laughs> it, it, it is. And and yeah. so some of your biggest takeaways from the show, I mean, I imagine that it, it had its ups and it's had its downs. I mean, that, well, yes, you could handle the pressure. There's also a certain expectation that begins to happen along the way that you have to keep delivering at the same level. Like, did you ever run out of energy? Uh, no, because it's television. It's not work. Uh, you know, I, it, it's like, I mean, there are people on the show that really work. But what do I do? Uh, now, as a, on Judge Jerry, I work because I have to research the cases and make judgments. And so that's, you know, that that requires a lot of work. But doing my other show, what did I do? You only have to do three things as a talk show host. You say three lines. You said, you did what? Come on out. We'll be right back. If you can say those three lines, you're a talk show host. Uh, and one of the questions just came in, Jerry, and our signal, our, our Wi-Fi, man, I tell you what, in Baltimore, I'm going to have to call Comcast, is that um, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? Are you a, a fan of crypto, Bitcoin? Um, what do you think? Not not particularly. I don't have a strong view about it. Um, you know, I think right now our regular financial system is in trouble because, in a sense, we're forced now to the colloquial word is print some money because we, we have to, we're going to have to figure out in the not too distant future, when we get out of all this with the pandemic, we're going to have to figure out a way for people to be able to have money that is not necessarily related to their job. Because the truth of the matter with technology, the way it is, there are more people than there are going to be jobs available. That's going to be inevitable. And so if if people working aren't isn't going to be the way to get money, we have to figure out some other ways as well. And that's not an easy society hasn't had to deal with that problem ever. Yeah, ever. no. But well, technology well. has eliminated the need for lots of jobs. I mean, even now, people that are now doing their work at home, the people that used to be in offices, all of a sudden, companies are realizing, wait a second, what are we spending all this money building office space, building these buildings? So that's going to affect jobs. You know, office space, why do you need that? Most of your workers can work at home in in an office type job. So I, I think there's going to be such a revamping of our economy and the way we distribute goods and services, the way we get money. Um it's, it, it's a brand new world. I gave a graduation speech to a school out in Colorado, 
And basically what I said to the students is that this is the first generation in American history where you're being handed a blank slate. You will now create a new world when this is all over. You will decide what the rules are going to be. You don't have to just take what was handed to you because that's been, in a sense, destroyed. Isn't that remarkable how far we've come? I mean, from your early days to now, did you see it happening in this way? I mean, of course, we couldn't foresee this pandemic, but what we're going into is really a, a brand new world. Well, what we kind of had some clues, but what clearly has happened, we all grew up believing that if there's a problem, America's going to fix it. I mean, that's the world we grew up in, that America had the best resources, the best innovation, the, you know, the, the most wealth. We could fix whatever. And in every crisis, we've been able to do that. But these last few years, we have seen a government that is absolutely paralyzed. All of a sudden, no matter what your politics are, you know, except for, you know, some people that were way over on the extreme right, you know, wackos, you know, all of a sudden we see these people are really incompetent. I mean, nobody, you may be amused by Trump. Oh, you know, oh, he said a funny thing again or this, that or the other. But no one seriously believes that he knows what he's talking about. So it's not a matter that I disagree with him. It's a matter that I don't have confidence. If it is my kid that is sick in a hospital, do you really think I'm going to go to Trump for advice? I mean, we know that. Those things that are dearest to us, what Washington tells us now is just, and that is the first time that ever happened. Whenever there's been a crisis before, the country has come together. Now, three months into the crisis, people are showing up at rallies with guns. We're starting to dislike people because they wear masks. What? What's happening? That has never been the case. After Pearl Harbor, after, uh, you know, after the Depression, after what happened in 2008, the country comes together. But I must say, though, Jerry, so I, again, this is your, your opinion, and I love opinions. Yeah because that you can disagree on certain things in certain areas and still someone's opinion. Like, but don't you think the president has a very difficult job? I mean, there are people that you're going to make happy and there are people that are going to be angry against you. I mean, you will never make being, everybody happy. Being president is probably the toughest job in the world, which means that if you're going to run for president, you better be a pretty high intelligence, education, temperament. That's exactly the point. Of course, you've got to be exceptional to be president. So, you know, when I when I disagree with Trump, it's not that, you know, I hate the person. There are a lot of people that I love that I don't think should be president of the United States. And it, that I think we can generally agree on. I mean, even when you find people that support him, you always they always start out with a point. Well, you know, he is a little bit off the rails at times and he says things and he behaves in a way. And there's always an excuse. You start out with an excuse because we recognize that, you know, the, there may be something he did, does or did that you like. So you're happy with the result. 
if you're a wealthy person, you're happy that your taxes got lower. I get that. But on the point of leading us through a crisis, you want to see a level of competence. Forget his views. A few years ago, he was a Democrat. I'm not talking about what his views are. I'm talking about sheer competence. And you know you could be a lifelong dyed-in-the-wool conservative Republican. You know deep down, whenever you talk to these Republican politicians in private, they roll their eyes. They say, yeah, but I can't say that because I might get primaried. I might get, I mean, we all know. We all really do know, except a few on the edges, I agree. But the rest of us, we know what's going on. And yet we say it's okay. Why do we say it's okay for the most important job in the world? Let him be your best friend. But that doesn't mean he should be president. Now that's that's an interesting opinion, and one of you've lived a uh, you've you've lived a, a long life, Jerry. You have heard and seen and met a lot of people, and as I said, I value opinions because at the end, or for you in the beginning, uh, where you are in your journey next, and the new group of people on Judge Jerry, that this is what you think, and it's the conclusion that you've come to, or at least the opinion. Oh, you've I come understand. To. This this is just my opinion. I'm of course, at, yes. but I again, but, I think opinions are, are what makes us so unique and so different. Um, you made a statement though a few minutes ago, and there's something that I use in my own life, and that's this: that if you're defending, you're losing. And that is one of the challenges that anybody faces when they have a, in this case, so I I am a supporter of the president, but I do have to start many times with defending, saying, yeah, you're right on that. And and yeah, I agree. But if I was president, there would equally be people that would say, hey, Dustin, I wish you would tweak this and and I wish you, you would do this different. So how do we in life, how do we have this respectful debate? I mean, you have made a career of respecting others' opinions, yet still having your own. That is an art, Jerry. Who taught you that or how did you develop it? Well, I think most people really are like that. I mean, we live in America. We know there are all kinds of opinions. And every president has had people that disagree with him. Every president. And that is understandable. But I honestly don't remember in my lifetime when there was a general agreement on competence. In other words, people, look, I didn't like the views of Ronald Reagan, but I, I, I never said he's not qualified to be a, a president. You know, I wish his views were more liberal because that's where I am. But, you know, I, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think any of the Bushes were bad people or not competent to be president. That's never been the case. You know, probably since, which I wasn't alive then, but think James Buchanan. We've never had a president that was totally unfit for the job. That's the point I'm making. So here's Jerry, I'm going to have to cut in here because I don't believe Biden will ever have a debate against uh, the the president of the United States. I will gladly be the host and the the moderator. I would love one day, maybe uh, President Trump and you, we can give your opinions Um, because you're right in life where we have our take someone has theirs. Uh, And so, Jerry, just from your side, some kind of uh, not final words, because your guy just keeps on going and keeps on creating. You're talking to a younger you right now. So a younger Jerry, in this case, you're talking to Dustin, Dustin. What advice do you have to those of us around the world that that have yet to make it or that are creating something? What advice can you give them? Love what you're doing. If you love what you're doing, 
the issue of fame or even wealth is totally secondary. It's a consequence of it. For example, because I get people that ask me about how do I get into show business and all of that. If you want to be in show business, if you want to be in television, if you want to be in radio, whatever it is, because you want to be famous, you're in for the wrong reasons because you have no control over that. That's a one in a million shot that boom, you made it. But if you love every day going to work and acting or every day going to work and uh, being a financial advisor or being a teacher or being, that's most of the time you're awake in an adult life, you're at your job. The rest of the time you're sleeping. So when you're conscious, eight out of every 12 hours that you're awake, you are at your job. So I, I often say, you've got to love your Mondays as well as your Fridays. If you can have a job or career where you love going to work in the morning, you're going to have a happy life. And if along the way, big things happen, wonderful. But at least it'll be a joy going to work. So do something you love. That is incredible because... 13 months ago, I had this crazy idea. I'm going to start a show. I don't know who's going to listen to it, who's going to want to hear what my take is or, or hear my guess. And now this is our 47th episode, uh, and we, we have now Jerry Springer on. So, sir. Congratulations, Steve Dustin. No, and keep going. Keep being successful. It is an honor, sir. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Life's tough. Jerry Springer is tougher. Thanks again, Jerry. Hey, thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You know, that was episode 47. I mean, can you believe where this show started and where we are now? We wouldn't be here without all of you, without everyone. This takes a team. We have a team of writers. We have Michael. We have Gerald. We have an amazing producer at the Alston Carlisle Studio. And we have a team of people behind them. The one takeaway I had from Mr. Springer was do something you love. Isn't that a pretty tough question, though, when you ask yourself, well, what do I love? At the end of your life, uh, many years ago, about three years ago, I was in a men's group uh, with my uncle. And one of the questions was asked of the men, and it said, at the end of your life, and you had to fill in your name, and it said, for me, at the end of Dustin's life, Dustin loved dot, dot, dot the most. Boy, that was a tough question. I had to answer it truthfully. And so the men at my table, they put in their answers and I put in mine. And so I started to write down the truth. And the truth was rather shocking. At the end of Dustin's life, Dustin loved Dustin the most. If you live only for yourself, it will be a very tough journey. It will be a journey that has many, many lows, a few highs. But think about giving back. When you look in your own life, who can you help? Today, I volunteered to help with uh, testing uh, in our county for the pandemic. For seven hours, I stood out there to help, to give back. Because I've learned in the past couple of years, as I've started this journey called Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher, lifestuff.com, that it starts with me. It starts with my heart. That many times we want to change others. We don't want people to feel what they feel and think what they think. We have many people that have opinions. Well, we have our own opinions. We've gone through our own journey. So I ask you the question at the end of your life, what do you love the most? Who do you love? Or to put it another way, 
what will your legacy be? Thank you for tuning in. I'd like to thank everyone at the Life's Tough team, our team of writers, and all of you. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Life's tough. You can be tougher.